to prepare these sermons. Uh, <laughs> I gave him like the toughest passage last week. Like, seriously, uh, like, and I am going to give it to him again at the end of the month. I go, here you go, <laughs> right? Bon appetit, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, but it's been tough, but it was been it's been a blessing. And um, uh, however, one little thing that takeaway, if you just really want to take away something that's really pivotal for the whole entire thing, it's actually what he said, uh, Pastor Fritz. Amazingly enough, not what I said. <laughs> it's actually what he said. Um, here, here's what I mean. Here's an example. So, it's spring now, right? And, uh, you know, I've been putting my bike on a bicycle trainer downstairs, you know, to ride it and train it, right? And so I'm like, and then it's, so it's springtime now. It's time to take the bike off the trainer, right? It's time to go out there and ride, right? And I'm like, wow, this is like a good life lesson, sort of, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, like I take the, I look at this picture and it's like, so much time I've been putting my miles on this trainer indoors, you know, just, you know, doing, turning up the gears, lowering the gears to, to get the uphills and downhills. Eric would be pleased with that, you know. And, um, and then I'm going, but I really don't know how to ride, per se, right, until I take this bike out there. There's a book that says, like, it is time to get salty. It's time to get off the boat and start walking on the water. It's like, uh, I believe that's, the, that's what Deuteronomy is saying. Like, all along, God has taken the, uh, these Israelites through 40 years in the desert to train them to develop them, to get them to know who God is and who he is, truly is, and his love, experience his love, his holiness, his uh, uh, commandments, his promises, his covenants. We're on the fifth book of this Torah. They're on the doorstep of now the promised land. And he goes, okay, now let go. Time for you to walk. Time for you to get, take your bike off the trainer now and go. I fear that sometimes, like for us as Christians, we get really analytical on our Bible studies. We, uh, you know, read so much of our Bible, we tend to study so much, and we get paralyzed by our analysis, paralysis through analysis type of thing. Yet, uh, and then we don't really just go, take that step, try it out, test this good news of ours that we have, right? It's like your new iPhone, right? Have you ever, like, you're not fully owner of an iPhone unless you test everything, right? <laughs> you know, like, you're like, you're an, are you the owner of an iPhone if you just leave it in the box and in its packaging? No. You're a full owner of that phone when you actually test it, use it, experience all its glory, <laughs> right? Same as our faith, same as our salvation, right? Have you tested it? Have you put it to the test? Have you put God to the test? Yes, I know that you do not put God to the test like, in certain circumstances, but this is what he wants you to do, though. He wants you to try out this glorious salvation that you have, this gift that you have. Have you put your faith and just went, you know what, enough training, enough reading. I know who God is now. God is great, God is good, and I've been repeating that all over my life. Now let me just go. And this is where Deuteronomy comes in. And this is why Pastor Fritz had the toughest passages because a lot of it had to do with, okay, in this circumstance that you face, well, guess what? You already know that what to do. You were trained to do this. You already know the underlying principle. Now go. Okay, now this situation. Okay, now you already know what to do. You know the principle. You know that I'm good. You know that I'm going to sustain you. Now go. Do it. See what I mean? So hence, the pivotal, like I think uh, what, uh, when I was um, reading through and just uh, reviewing uh, what, what Pastor Fritz was saying, I think he made a really good point. And to sum up where we've been already, it's time to get salty, folks. Time to go. Time to give it a shot. Test to see that God is good. That's why he said that. All right, let's pray.
Did I, no, I put it right well, here. Just disappear. Oh God. Marley, Marley, spit it out. Marley, I have a tree. Get in. Stay, Marley, stay. story he actually swallowed it <laughs> so and then they managed to find it in his poop all right yeah so uh the title of this talk this morning is sacred or sacredness or holy it's, it's a I, we could use these uh, terms interchangeably and uh when i saw this uh, this uh, clip um and i was preparing for this sermon i also have been reminded of a time when annabelle when she was very young and we were in uh, mexico in, the, in quite a while back uh she was playing with my sunglasses and uh, and then uh, um, I didn't know that like you know she was playing with my sunglasses and suddenly uh, like um, I, while I was eating I heard this crack oh. <laughs> right and lo and behold she snapped the sunglasses in two halves <laughs> right and I'm like oh no <laughs> right and then so I'm like okay this is the last time I entrust anything that is expensive or valuable into a, a baby's hands right because they don't treat them as valuable as we do sacred you get this. And uh, so, why did I show this uh, uh, clip? I'm gonna get, get into that, but it's all about sacredness. What is sacredness? And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning, is what is sacredness? And especially today in the 21st century, what is sacred now? Because back then in Deuteronomy, like, uh, and you know, in that time, it, uh, it was very distinctive. Like, whatever's in the synagogue is sacred, right? Like, uh, or whatever's in the temple is sacred, or whatever, or wherever God moves. His presence, right, is sacred. Okay, so what's sacred today? What, what's, what is sacred now? So that's where we're going to go. And Rachel, just to uh, tick you off, we're going to skip that slide. <laughs> okay, we're not going to go do a review because you could do that yourselves. You could go into our website and uh, go through the podcast and review that yourselves. But we'll just dive right into it. How about that? So sacredness, let's go into chapter 23. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to chapter 23 and of Deuteronomy, and we'll uh, read it. Uh, uh, I'll read it, and we'll just go through it step by step together. So in this chapter, there's an overall theme, and you know how I usually approach Bible studies and Bible reading. What do I usually look for? Anybody? Repetition. Repetition. Repeated themes, repeated words, or whatever, right? That's repeated, because I know it's very simple, man. <laughs> right, and uh, I, 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 need, I need to just find something to grasp before I read something, and uh, I just can't take abstracts too well. And so I found this one sticking out a lot to me. It's the phrase, assembly of the Lord. Okay, why? Because assembly of the Lord was, is mentioned four times. And then, then when you go into 9 and 14, there's something about God's presence moving around, right, in the camp, in the military camp. So again, Assembly of the Lord, the, the Lord's presence, right? And then again, as we, as we continue to move on, there's something about the Lord's house, right? So again, the assembly of the Lord, the Lord's presence, right? 
So it's really sticking out to me that something has to do with sacredness then, about the Lord's presence. Presence of the Lord somewhere, right? So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. And that's why the question, what does sacredness mean today? What does it mean to be in the Lord's presence? Like, where is God? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So let's go into Deuteronomy 23. And if you have your Bibles, again, follow with me. We'll start with verse 1. No one has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So bold that. No one born of a forbidden marriage nor any other descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Not even the 10th generation. No Israelite man or woman is to become a shrine prostitute. You must not bring earnings of a female prostitute or uh, of a male prostitute into the house of the Lord to pay any vow because the Lord your God detests them both. All right. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, why does anyone want to choose to crush their male anatomy? Right? Why, why does anyone want to choose to lip the tip? Uh, you know, I just... You know, become a eunuch, <laughs> right? Right? Like, why would anyone choose to do that? Remember, this is a choice. We're talking about eunuchs choosing to be eunuchs, you know, people that want to be eunuchs. And we explored this, didn't we? Well, right? Remember the whole First Corinthian thing? Uh, we explored this, uh, that, the, and so we're going to come back to, again, oh, it, like eunuchs. Okay, so why would anyone choose to emasculate this or just to do something to their bodies that's not holy. Because being a eunuch right here, clearly it's not holy. So why would anyone choose to do that? And in a, so what we have to do is take that out and try to put it into a contemporary context. And you see this muscle-bound guy here? Why would anyone, like him, choose to take steroids? Why would anyone want to choose steroids? Why would anyone take a risk to be eliminated from competition for taking illegal substances, 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 right? To do this, why would we? Why do we see athletes willing to do that? Like especially in the Olympics, right? Why do we see athletes that are willing to do this? To do something clearly wrong, yet they're doing going to do this. Why do we see accountants, companies like Enron, Briax, right? Those guys willingly to do accounting fraud, even though they know it's wrong. Why do we see people like our friends and our colleagues who are who know that it's wrong to do, but they're still willing to do it, right? To go to to be fraudulent or to try to cheat on their taxes, to find loopholes or whatever. Why? It's to get ahead. It's to be to get ahead. And is there any trust in God in that whole process? No. Right? There's no trust in this process. But winning is everything for this type of mentality. Winning is everything. Winning is a trying to be more about self-sustenance. Self self winning is about just, just trying to get ahead. Winning is about protecting ourselves. So therefore, when it, God says through Moses, do not emasculate or do not do this to your bodies, then he says, don't do things that, to, that are wrong to your bodies or what is holy. Right to get ahead, and what does he see? He sees that our bodies as sacred. Interesting, right? He sees our bodies, therefore, as sacred. He sees what we do, what how we think, our whole lives as sacred. Interesting, right? Because being eunuchs is a choice, right? It's a career choice. So, do you see our your own career, your own jobs as sacred? Do you see your body as sacred? So first principle, first thing, what is sacred today then? God says, 
your bodies and what you do with your bodies. Where you go, where you take your bodies is sacred. First principle, right there in our faces. <laughs> Isn't that cool? It's so clear. And then it talks about prostitutes. Now, this is not about uh, human trafficking, okay? Yes, there is a prostitution out there that's forced, imposed on people, uh, ex child exploitation. This is not about that. If you look at this clear, like these a few verses, these folks made a choice to go into the shrine and become prostitutes and become taking the job of prostitutes. And again, God says, no, your bodies are sacred. They're holy. They are sacred. So that you cannot treat your bodies as you cannot choose careers that would be compromising to that sacredness of your bodies because I'm there. See where it's getting at? If assembly of the Lord, if the, at the house of the Lord, and we're all talking about the presence of God and the presence of God is equated to sacredness, then do you see your bodies as the temple of God? Sacred. Right? Because whatever we do in our careers, wherever we take our bodies to, wherever jobs we take our bodies to, your bodies are sacred. You follow? That's point number one. Okay, let's move on to the next point. Follow with me to verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3 to 8. No Ammonite or Moabite or any other descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor in Aram Naharim to pronounce a curse on you. What a way to start off a morning, all those names. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Do not despise an Edomite, for the Edomites are related to you. Do not despise an Egyptian, because you resided as foreigners in their country. The third generation of children born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay, so you really need to know the story of the Ammon Ammonites and the Moabites. All right, because it's a, this story is taking you back to Numbers, uh, the story in Numbers, where the Moabites, as an example, the Moabites detested God's people. If you remember the Balaam story, uh, basically the Moabites, the king of the Moabites, uh, told Balaam to curse Israel. Now, for cursing, what involves in cursing, which Pastor Fritz will be talking about uh, later on, cursing, this type of cursing is about uh, telling somebody to just die. Like, it's almost like go to hell, right? Like that's cursing in this. So the Moabite king just told uh, Balaam, can you please curse Israel just to go to hell? You know, like, you know, like, like go die, right? Now, is that really truly, and then God says, this is not respecting my people. Because anybody who uh, curses God's people, they end up not in this good situation. So God said, like, God said to the Israelites, handle the Moabites the way that they handled you. Right? Well, wait a minute, what does that mean then? What, what does that mean? Well, if it, let's uh, remember the story. So the Moabite king tells Balaam to go curse Israel. Balaam says no, but then he continues to do it anyway. Funny, right? He continues to go and he rides on his donkey. And then, uh, the, he, he, and then the donkey stops because the donkey sees an angel at the, in, a, in front of their path with a flaming sword ready to strike, right? So the donkey freaks out, goes, ah, right? And then uh, Balaam falls over. And then the donkey didn't even move, right? And then Balaam goes, how dare you, donkey? You keep moving, right? And so he keeps on hitting the donkey a few times, right? And the donkey never moved. Then suddenly the donkey started talking, right? The donkey starts talking, going, why are you hitting me? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, why are you hitting me? 
do you not see that you know like you are disobeying God, right? And they're like, um, not in that tone. I have no idea what tone <laughs> the donkey used, but you know, how dare you? That, that like you know hurt me. So Balaam was shocked, and he realized that he was doing something wrong. And then his eyes opened, and the angel uh, appeared to him, right? And that prevented. So and then Balaam suddenly realized that that warning is God's warning to him that you do not curse God's people. Right? You do not curse God's uh, people, his covenant people. You do not curse God's promise, basically. What is that story saying? Because God promised the Israelites land. God promised the Israelites that when they're obedient, they will have that promised land, right? that promise. And that was the whole entire story of Numbers, is that you do not curse God's promise. Right? You do not curse God's gospel, God's good news. And so this kind of reminds me of the story of the Marley and me, about the passage in Jesus, what Jesus said about dogs and pigs. Here, let's go on to this. Chapter 7, if you have your Bible, like, if you could flip it over, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. It says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus was referring to the same passage here in Numbers, amazingly. He was referring to that, the Balaam story. Because the Moabites treated God's promise as nothing. He treated God's people, the people under the promise, as nothing. Okay? And that they wanted, and they just wanted to curse them and then stuff like that. Well, good dogs and what is sacred and pigs, these wild dogs and pigs, I don't know if you have seen wild dogs and wild pigs, but just look at Marley. Right? They don't really treat anything sacred. They'll just chew up everything, right? And pigs, even worse. Right? I, I don't know if you've ever seen a wild pig, but I did. And you know what? Yeah, they're not the. You wouldn't put them in a fine china store, right? Let's, let's like to you know roam around. So they do not treat those friends. So who are they then? Jesus was referring to basically anyone who does not respect the gospel, anyone who does not respect God's promise, anyone. I'm sure you met some people like that. And so Jesus says, don't give what is sacred to them, because they will just treat it as nothing. Don't give the, the, the like. Don't just like uh, um, flippantly to say you know give it to anybody that, that that doesn't take it seriously, which is really interesting because really that's a self reflection on us too, right? Do we take God's promise, His gospel, seriously, or do we treat it like a dog or a pig, right? And just take advantage of it and just rip it apart and use it for our own purposes. You follow? So so what is the second principle? What is else's sacred? It's God's promise, God's covenant with us. First of all, our, uh, what is sacred is our bodies, because God created us. God made us. He wants to reside in us. So we are God's temple, as Paul would say. And wherever we go, wherever we are, in our work, in our play, we are sacred. We are holy. We are called to be holy. Second, is what he has commanded us, what he has given us, his promise, his gospel. That is sacred as well. That is holy. That cannot be treated as flippantly and that cannot be treated like a, as if it's just some little treasure toy or like a lucky charm or a ticket to heaven. It needs to be taken seriously. It cannot be trampled by dogs or pigs. It cannot be treated like that, like just a mere vegetable. It has to be treated with respect, with dignity, and with honor, that promise. You follow? All right, let's go on. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 9 to 14. And then we're going to go over to 24 as well. 
When you are encamped against your enemies, keep away from everything impure. If one of your men is unclean because of the nocturnal emission, <laughs> oh, here we go. He is to go outside the camp and stay there. But as evening approaches, he is to wash himself, and at sunset he may return to the camp. Designate a place outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself as part of your equipment, have something to dig with, and when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. For the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you. Your camp must be holy so that he will not see among you anything indecent and turn away from you. Ah. See how hard it is to prepare these messages <laughs> for you? This is, the Deuteronomy is, I, I know, it's a self-imposed pain. I chose the book. Why did I choose the book? Anyway, I'm, I'm talking to God here, not you. <laughs> anyway, so, okay, let's back up. Again, we got to focus on sacred, God's presence, holiness. So what sticks out in this passage if we were to, to read this context? If we, could, if we read this passage in that context, it's basically what? Two things. Keep away from everything impure. Right? First thing. First commandment, keep away from everything impure. Second, verse 14, for the Lord your God moves about in your camp. See how reading in that context sticks those two things out rather than the masturbation part? <laughs> you know? So let's take that. Okay. So this passage mentioned two types of emissions. Okay, it's fine. One is nocturnal, uh, which most of you are old enough to know. And the second is, co <laughs> except for him, and, um, and coincidentally, the second one uh, number is the number two, doing the number two. Why in the world did God, through Moses, mention about these things in light of purity uh, and uh, him moving around the camp? Okay, well, recall that war is a way of life. Remember that? Uh, before I left uh, that week, I told you guys that war is a way of life in the world. It's a way for survival for nations, eth uh, ethnic nations. And so treat that as work. Treat that as the soldiers are going to work. And we know that back in the day, most of the time, majority of the people who are going to war is are men, right? And so hence we have these examples are men examples, right? We can have any other examples, right? But, you know, because men are mainly going to war and they usually do that job, it goes into that. And so that's why you have the nocturnal emissions and that such and such. But it's all about keeping the camp clean because it acknowledges that God is moving around in this camp. Okay, let's combine this then. Work with me here. If war is a way of life and it's work, Right? And God is amongst that work, and therefore keep it clean. Do you see that as your work? Here's what I mean. When I uh, was a manager at a store, store manager at, uh, at Staples, um, I made a point to make sure that my store is clean. Like uh, my store is upkept, up to par. Because it's not because uh, not just the company is requiring it, right? But it also is because of who I am. I'm a Christian. Uh, I was convicted by one of my counselors uh, back at Burning Alliance Church uh, that, you know, your work is sacred. Your work is what God has given you to be a good steward of. And so I said to myself, I better yeah, like, uh, do, try to put that into practice. And I saw for myself that if God in, uh, impressed on me and gave me this opportunity to take care of a multi-million dollar store as a store manager, and I'm being this young, back then, back then not young now, but back then, 
like, do, would I see this store as sacred? Would I see my work as sacred? And so I said to myself, well, if this store is supposed to uh, represent me, then this store better be clean. This store better be upkept. The people working should be, uh, should be flourishing, should be, well, like, uh, you know, uh, be hospitable and be nice and generous. And so, you know, that was my goal. Though I have many failings, I share that with you. I failed many times. I made a lot of errors, but I try. I try to do my best in this. And you know, like, uh, and, uh, I try to make sure that the washrooms are clean. It's not just because the store represents, no, because I firmly believed, and I told my coworkers this, and my colleagues, that I'm a Christian, and I firmly believe that this store represents who I am, but also represents who you are, and represents our mindsets, and it represents how our mindsets towards our clients and our customers. Right? The store represents us, our mentality, our philosophy, our being. Do you see that in your work? Do you see our jobs as sacred, basically, what God is saying? Keep everything, stay away from impurity, God says, in your work. That's what he's saying. Because, okay, back then, war is job, is work. That's their context. Do you see your job, your place, and do you see, hear this command to you, to all of us, saying, God's telling you, at your work, keep away from everything impure. Basically, that's what he's saying. So, again, what is sacred? Well, because if God is with us, and he's always roaming around, and, he's so, and we firmly believe in the Jeremiah passage, right? That he never leaves us or forsake us. If that is true, and he is present wherever we are, like tied to the hip, basically, or even in us, if we are sacred, do we see our work, our play, wherever we go, wherever we stay, what vacations we go to, wherever we stay, uh, like, uh, live in, whatever place we rent at Airbnb, do we see all that as sacred? Because we are there. We're, the, we're people, of, we're called holy, so whatever we touch is sacred because God's there. Okay? I one time I told uh, uh, Annabelle, don't litter. <laughs> Because uh, we were at a community center, she was ready to tear off her little, like, you know, that uh, wristband, right? And then just throw it away, right? Onto the ground. I go, you, Annabelle, you gotta pick that up, right? She goes, why? Because I go, you own this place too. Because you are here, and God's here, and He's seeing this. It freaked her out. But you know, like, she goes, whoa, God's here? Like, you're here? She's she, like, I'm like, uh, yeah, you sing it all the time. You tell me, you sing that song, right? And then she never sang the song ever again. But you know, like, but, you know, like it's like, um, but you know, that's the concept that we need to train ourselves, right? You know, it's a, it's also a recreation centers. Like uh, I tell my friends, when we go to community centers, we can't litter. We can't. We got to treat everything with respect. We got to wipe down the equipment when we use it. You know, when, like you know, when because you know why we're sacred. We're called holy. I firmly believe that keep away from everything impure is very practical. Very practical. Yes, dig a hole if you need to go to the bathroom at campsites. You know, like, you know, whatever. You know, but it is literally very practical, doesn't it? Because you know why? We are sacred. Wherever we go, we're sacred. We're a representation of sacredness and holiness. And therefore, God calls us keep away from everything impure. You follow? 
Wait, lastly, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21 to 25. Now, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your mouth. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to theirs. Standing green. This passage here just basically is an example, uh, just to continue that message. However, it's an example of, of integrity. This word has been losing a lot of steam lately, isn't it? Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I know that uh, it's going to, like, I, I haven't been in the business of managing people for a while. And so, but what I hear from managers, especially my conversation with Tiki Bank lately, right, of their managers, integrity seems to be going downhill. When I say, when somebody says yes, it could be a maybe. When somebody says a maybe, it might not even happen. You know what I mean? It's like uh, these promises, these unfulfilled promises, even at work, it tends to even permeate through life. When, uh, like, uh, we don't see marriage as last as long as it should used to be. And when people say, I do, it means, I do, but maybe, <laughs> right? It's like, uh, like married couples, like uh, I, I've been talking to some pastors lately, a lot of even Christian married couples who want to get married, do you know what's the first thing that comes out of their mouths now? Oh, by the way, do you recommend anything to uh, anybody to write a prenup? I'm like, huh? <laughs> right? Like, like, so you're going into this marriage already thinking that it'll end, already planning ahead that it'll end. Right? This passage right here just emphasizes the point of our holiness, of our call to holiness, of our call to sacredness, of who we are as people of God. We are called to be sacred. And one of the things that God really cherishes is that our vows be fulfilled, that we keep our promises, that we have integrity. Let your yes be yes and a no be no. We do not say maybe. When we sign up for a contract for a job, let's fulfill it. When we sign a contract for anything, let's fulfill it. When we, say, when we enter into marriage, fulfill it. When we enter into any covenant, fulfill it. When we tell our bosses, yes, I'll do that, fulfill it on a timely manner. See how practical it is, this passage? It's do, do, like this passage is basically, the principle is you're sacred, fulfill it. You're called to be holy. We're all called to be holy. I'm called to show you an example, a one example of being holy. So therefore, if I say I pray for you, by golly, that's why I come back out of the blue and just say, how are you doing? And you're like shocked, like, oh, yeah, that prayer request was already fulfilled, but thank you for coming back to it, you know, that type of thing. Because I have to keep my integrity too. It's so important, folks. We are to lead by example because we're disciples of Jesus, and that's how we lead. All right, and then also about stewardship and about hospitality, about generosity. Folks, uh, I'm going to be talking about that next time, probably uh, about next week, uh, about mosaic But, you know, <laughs> like, uh, or, you know, mosaic dai, right. Uh, and, or it's just another one called mjokso type of thing. That's, that's next week, all right? So please come back next week. But this, uh, but, you know, it kind of applies to here too. It says here that, hey, the neighbor's going to give you grapes and, like, you know, don't continue to hoard, right? Well, it's because we're called sacred, right, people? We're holy. We don't gorge. 
right? We don't exploit. And this goes in the same fact with the, uh, um, the whole thing about our bodies as sacred. We just don't hoard and we don't overtake because we have integrity, we're called for sacredness, and we treat everyone else holy because God sees everyone as his own, as his image. All right, enough of that. Let's go on. Lastly, Deuteronomy 23, verse 15 to 16, 19 to 20. If a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand them over to their master. Let them live among you wherever they like and in whatever town they choose. Do not oppress them. Verse 19, do not charge a fellow Israelite interest, whether on money or food or anything else that may earn interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but not a fellow Israelite, so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. I firmly believe that when Paul wrote the letter to Philemon, telling him to welcome Onesimus, you know, the runaway slave, uh, Onesimus, back into his household as a brother in Christ, Paul, because he is so in tune with the Old Testament, Paul was alluding to actually this, to God's vision of the new kingdom. Now remember, God's vision of the new kingdom, there will be no poor among you. Right? That was his first. There will be no poor among you. That was God's vision of the new kingdom. That's what unites us, is God's vision of this new kingdom. Second, I believe that Paul also sees, what God sees as a new kingdom, is that there will be no slaves. There will be no one, now slaves, is, there, is in, by definition of this, is burdened, enslaved by something. There will be no one enslaved by anything, whether it be debt, uh, practically whether it be debt, enslaved by mental illness, enslaved by physical illness, enslaved by broken relationships, enslaved by uh, physical ailments. There will be no one enslaved. Everyone will find refuge. So to conclude, it's amazing what God does through the Deuteronomy here. He concludes what it means to be in the presence of God. What it really, why, why do we want to live in sacredness? Why do we want to be holy? Why do we want to experience God's presence? It's because he says there's freedom. There's no slavery. You may find that we have to live with integrity. You may find that, that we have to keep our bodies clean. You may find that we have to live, treat all our work as sacred and not litter or anything as burdensome. But really, God's promise is this. If you do and you, you abide in his presence, you actually don't find any enslavement. You'll find freedom. Freedom to live a full life. Freedom to find refuge. See, this is totally flying in the face of that day, that time period. Usually slaves who run away, they get right? They get executed. They get enslaved again. If they go to another city, that city should treat them like slaves. But God tells the Israelites, his chosen people, no. Now they are in God's presence. They are in his, among his people, sacred people. What does the slave find? The ability to choose where he wants to go, to stay, and freedom. You follow? That's why we want to be in God's presence. That's why we are called sacred, is to experience the full life that God has for us. Amen? Amen. So to conclude, sacredness is not something to be the burden for. Like, it could be a bunch of do's and don'ts. No. Sacredness is just who we are. And the reason why we're sacred is because we're experiencing God's full life upon us, in breaking in us, as we experience it. And he promises it to us every day. Live this, and you'll experience full life. Amen?